Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I want to do something a little bit different in the month of July. I want, to, I want to do a series, and this series is not really based on any event that's happened recently, but I, I want to do a series talking about the times that we're living in and the culture that we're living in and what we're facing today, which is different than it was years ago. And I want to talk about that and how do we respond to it, because we need to know how to respond. We need to know that we don't have to be afraid of it. And we need to understand that regardless of what happens in culture, we know how this thing is going to end up. And it ends up with us winning. And so it's, it's going to be all right. So it, this has some sobering moments in it, but always keep in mind the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. And the good news is, like I said, we win. And uh, this time we have on earth is the shortest thing we'll ever do in life. Eternity is so much longer. But so we might as well make the most of it while we're here in times like these. This morning I want to talk about how to stand out in a foreign land or a foreign culture. I'll give you a good example from the scriptures because I really believe this is times like these are our time. Paul was writing by the Holy Spirit and he wrote to Timothy and he wrote what was going to happen in the last days. And he starts off in the third chapter of Timothy with know this. So it's right here. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turned away. Paul is laying out something that's not so rosy, but really is beginning to describe what happens in the last days. You say, well, and I've been hearing about last days for a long time. I mean, seriously, we're in the last days? Uh, listen, the last days started when Jesus ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. And you have to understand that God's days are not our days, but I really do believe in my heart we're really starting to approach the end. And as we approach the end of, of, of this error, things speed up. And what we've seen is a real escalation of some of the condition that he talked about there. So we're living, Paul said, know this, that perilous times will come. That actually means times of stress, times of pressure. I don't have to ask for a show of hands how many people have understood that what we're living in now is a stressful time. And also we're living in a time where people are not just anti-God, they're no longer silent about it. It used to be if you were an atheist, you never said much. Now, you feel emboldened to say all kinds of blasphemous things about God and about believers. That's the culture that we're living in. And we're finding out that people aren't getting better. People say, well, I just believe we're going to go back to the way it was. We're not. I appreciate the way it was, but we're not there anymore. And we need to understand how do we function today. But people, the character of people is not getting better. My sister works for the Homeland Security. She works at the airport. She said, Alan, she said, I don't know what it is with people. She said, they've gotten meaner and ruder. And uh, 
she's in a small airport. So she's not in a big place. And yet we're dealing with that. People's character is not improving. Two brothers had, in a small southern town, had really run that town for years. They dominated that town. Their, their hands were in all kinds of illegal activities. They were really, if there was trouble in that town, they were behind it. And when the older one died, the younger brother came to a local pastor and he said, Pastor, he said, I would like for you at this, to do the funeral. Pastor said, okay, I'll do it. He said, I, would, I need for you to say in this funeral that my brother was a saint. <laughs> he looked at him and said, your brother was anything but a saint. He said, I understand that and you understand that, but I want you to say it anyway. And here's a check for $100,000 that I've made out to the church if you would do it. The pastor looked at the check and went, done. <laughs> so in the funeral, the whole town was there. and The deceased was in a casket in front. The pastor walked over and he pointed, he said, I want to tell you something about the deceased. He was a wicked man. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He abused alcohol and drugs. He bullied people in this town. He ran illegal opportunities. He was horrible to his wife. He was horrible to his children. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> You'd be surprised how creative I can get for 100 grand, right? <laughs> we're living in a day where we're seeing character. So here's the question we have to ask. How do we respond to an environment and a culture that's growing increasingly dark? How do we respond as believers? Well, I've noticed that the more birthdays you've had, the, the, the angrier you tend to be. And uh, I, I, I've noticed it, especially with my generation, and I really realize the reason we're angry is because we've seen more changes. And we've seen how dramatic the changes have been. But ranting and raving and responding to a culture with the same attitude and the same spirit that they're responding to us is not going to work. If you push people, they will push back. Well, you say, oh, what we need to do is change government. Hallelujah, I'm all for it. Let's change the government. And that will help us. That will help you. Am I going to preach this or you going to preach this? As I was saying, <laughs> that will help us, but it's not going to change the hearts of men. Amen. We do need, man, I, I pray. We need, hey, listen, we need to pray for this upcoming election in 24. Yes. It's looking uglier and uglier by the moment. But we need to pray. We need godly people. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who you put in. You don't change the hearts of men. And so government helps, but that's not the answer. So what is the answer? The answer is for us as the church, as God's people, to begin to live differently. Paul wrote this to the Philippian church. They were in a pretty adversarial environment. He said, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's us. We're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation he said, just by not complaining and arguing, you show yourself to be different. Being different is what's going to help us, living different is what's going to help us reach a generation. In 1967, Doug Nichols was a missionary to India, and he went to India, and he contracted tuberculosis, wound up in an Indian TB ward. 
he was in there. He said he wanted to share the gospel with some of the patients. He didn't speak their language, but he had some gospel tracts in their language. And so he tried to give it to them. Every one of them refused him. They had wanted nothing to do with his gospel tract. One night, Doug woke up. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. He woke up with a coughing fit, had a hard time breathing. But as he was coughing, he noticed an old man across the aisle from him. And the old man was trying to get out of bed, and he was whimpering, and he tried again. And, and, and he finally, he fell back in bed and whimpered. And in the morning, Doug knew exactly why he was trying to get up. He was trying to go to the bathroom because the stench in that place was horrible. The other patients were yelling at the old man. The nurse cleaned him up and then slapped him. And it was, just a, it was just a horrible environment. Well, the next night, Doug woke up again, and he heard the old man trying to get up again. But this time, Doug got up. He was a frail little guy. He picked him up. He carried him to the toilet, which was really just a hole in the ground, and then carried him back to bed. And when he went back to bed, the old man kissed him on the cheek and promptly went to sleep. When Doug woke up the next morning, there was a steaming cup of tea that one of the patients in the ward had made for him. And then the patient motioned toward the tracks and asked if he could have a track. And before it was over, the next two days, every patient in that ward asked for a gospel track. Guys, we're not going to win a world by being ugly. We're going to win a world by showing them what Jesus really looks like and what his kindness is. In the scriptures, there's a group of young men who wound up in a culture that was about as anti-God as you're going to get. 600 years before Jesus was born, the Babylonian culture ruled the civilized world. They, they came into Jerusalem, they sacked Jerusalem, and they carried away captives. One of the four captives they carried away were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were young men. Historians think they were around 16 years old. They also carried away all the strong, all the wealthy, all the, the, the top. They left the poor and the weak and the sick behind. But they carried them captive to Babylon. Babylon was the premier world power, premier cultural power of that day. And Babylon had a plan to take all these captives and take the best and the smartest and the brightest and train them for three years, almost like in a university, and then send them out to lead and to rule. It's an anti-God they, they had no respect for God. But why should they have respect for the Hebrew God when they conquered them? So they only had respect for their gods. So we, we read the story right here. Then the king instructed, whatever his name is, the master of the eunuchs to, <laughs> to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted, and all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace to whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now among those were the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave the names. To Daniel gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah Shadrach. To Mishael Meshach. And Azariah Abednego. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill, the chief of the eunuchs. These 
four young men were given, in effect, what would be like having a scholarship to an Ivy League college. They were captives, but yet they were given an opportunity to go to the top university there for three years, and they were going to be trained, but it was a forced change of their culture. They changed their names. They no longer had their Hebrew names. All of the Hebrew names had God in them. Daniel meant God is judged. Hananiah meant the Lord is gracious. I think Azariah meant the Lord is assisting us. But they took away their names that had God in them and they changed them out to have names of their Babylonian gods. That was their new names. And they made them learn the literature and the language. They could no longer speak Hebrew. They had to speak the language of the Chaldeans. Daniel purposed in his heart, though, that said, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. Jewish people at that time had very strict laws on what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And the king's food was, you know, for example, you couldn't eat pork. And the king's food, I'm sure, just had a lot of delicacies and probably had pork, things that you couldn't eat, and they couldn't drink that wine. And so Daniel asked the chief, the headmaster, he said, hey, listen, would you give us 10 days? He was very kind about it, very gracious. It was risky because now he risked being thrown out of this top training. I mean, if you're thrown out, then you're just a captive. Then you're just a slave. But now he's, gonna, he's trained to be a leader. He's being well taken care of. He's well fed. He's well taken care of. And so when Daniel said, hey, we don't want to eat this food, he wasn't unkind about it. He said, look, would you give us 10 days, feed us vegetables and water, and we'll, we'll do that. And at the end of 10 days, you check us out. If we look better, then give us that for a meal. And sure enough, the, Dan, the, the, the chief guy gave them vegetables and water. And 10 days later, these guys looked better. I don't know how. It had to be God. Just vegetables. Anyway. <laughs> I've been hard time giving up those hamburgers for me. And the, and the, and the, but anyway, that, the, the beautiful thing we see in Daniel was Daniel had a fear of God that was bigger than the fear of Babylon. Daniel, and I say fear of God, Daniel wasn't afraid God was going to hurt him, but he'd been raised to honor and respect God. He didn't want to do anything that would defile himself. That means to pollute, to stain himself with this king's foot. He, he had such a respect for God that even in the middle of a foreign culture, he said, I'm going to honor God. And he did. And it worked out so beautifully for him because God did some amazing things for them. Their heart to honor God put them in wonderful position. Let's, let's see what happened here. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom, understanding about which the king had examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers who were in his realm. God gave Daniel favor. This is what God did. He said, God gave Daniel favor with the chief guy. Favor means that someone's just disposed to like you. They're supposed to, to lean toward. They don't even know why sometimes. But God, it didn't say Daniel was such a smooth operator that he had favor. God gave him favor. And God gave them wisdom and skill to the point where they were 10 times better than the other people. That's an amazing amount. But God did that for them. It didn't say they were just unusually smart. It said God gave them wisdom. 
and skill. And God promoted them that they lived in the king. They lived in the king's area, in the king's palace. They didn't have to go out to these far-flung provinces. They were promoted to a good place. And here's the good news. If God can do that for Daniel and his three friends, he can do that for us. He can do that for you. And so here are some things. And keep in mind, Babylonian culture had no respect for God. So what about the days we're living in now? How do we, how, how do we thrive? How do we stand out in a culture that's becoming increasingly anti-God? So let me give you Daniel's pattern. Let me give you three things. First one is understand the tactics. The world will push their fear on us. The fear of missing out. The fear of not fitting in. The fear, the pressure that if I don't do this, I'm somehow going to be on the outside looking in. That's one of the ways. Second way is that this culture will try to change subtly and not so subtly, will try to change us. Three areas. They want to change our name. By changing our name, we're talking about changing identity. When they changed Daniel's name, they took God out of it. Listen, once you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have not just a new creation, you have a new identity. And your new identity is, I have a relationship with the Lord. Christian is more than just a nice name. It means I am united with Christ. I have a, a relationship with Him. I am a new creation with Him. And that identity is, the, it is eternal. And it's stronger than it being the identity. And here's what happens. They try to push us into having another identity. And people say, well, I, I identify with a political party or I identify with my sexual preference or I identify with my gender or I identify. Listen, if you've made Jesus your Lord, you are a Christian first. It is number one. I am a Christian first. Then, then, listen, I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a Christian before I'm a Texan. Hey, oh. I'm a Christian first. That's our identity. The second thing that they'll do is they'll try to change the name. They will try to label us. If you're a Christian now, you know you get labeled? Weak-minded, superstitious, intolerant, bigoted, hate-monger. They're not talking about us. That's your name. That's not my, I don't take that label. We, we had a friend, um, she since moved to California, real sweet black lady who was telling us about her mother. She was, this lady was our age, so her mother grew up in, in Texas um, in years ago, back when racism was really a thing. And her mother's name was Unita. And Unita was walking home one day, little, little girl, eight, nine years old, she's walking home, and some kids passed her in a car, and they begin to scream at her, and they scream the N-word at her. So Unita went into her house and she's crying, telling her mother what happened. And her mother looked at her. She said, they called you what? And she told him. She said, Unita, is that your name? She said, no. She said, Unita, is that your name? What they called you, is that your name? She went, no, mama, it's not my name. Mama went, well, they weren't talking to you. <laughs> Listen. Listen. 
If you've been labeled unlovely, if you've been labeled unloved, if you've been labeled failure, if you've been labeled loser, if you've been labeled hate monger, whatever label, they're not talking to me. That's not my name. My name is blessed. My name is belong to God. My name is I stand in Christ. My name is different. So that might be your name, but that's not my name. I don't answer to intolerant. I answer to in Christ. Second thing they want to change is they want to change our language. They want to take God out. Or you can't mention God anymore. Or you can't, and boy, if you say Jesus, oh, well, that sends everybody into a fit. I, have a, I was praying one time at a company function. One of the managers came to me. He said, Alan, we have a lot of Jewish people here. Don't use the name of Jesus. I'm like, find somebody else to pray. I said, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. He finally went, oh, okay. He was a Christian. I think he got convicted. So I did. I just prayed in Jesus' name. Blessed everything in Jesus' name. Made sure I worked that in. But, but you know, right, right now, um, well, at least a couple years ago, Neymar, if you're familiar with, with soccer, Neymar, Brazilian, one of the top soccer players, he, play, he played for a Paris club that paid him a bonus not to mention his faith every month. And they paid him $600,000 not to mention his faith because they said that religious propaganda would ruin the spirit and unity of the club. So what happens is often they want to take God out of our language. They want to take God. You can't say Merry Christmas. I can say Merry Christmas. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. I'm not saying it hateful. I'm just saying you're not going to change my words and you're not going to change my literature. Right now they're fighting in schools about what kind of literature our children can read. And some of the stuff they've got in there is ridiculous. But the idea is, listen, we have to understand this is how a culture is changed. They want to change that. Here's the second thing. If we're going to stand out in this world, we know the tactics. The second thing is determine not to be defiled. That word defiled means to pollute, to stain. And what you hear and what you see can, can pollute and stain you. Look at the scripture. This is talking about Lot. Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them, Sodom and Gomorrah, day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Tormented by what he saw and heard. Please don't think that what you see and hear will not impact you. And there is so much that's defiling today. Right now, they say that the average age of a young person being exposed to pornography is eight years old. Eight years old. Now, we know pornography is bad. We know it's rampant. And we know it can defile us. But so can the things that cause fear and the things that cause us to be angry. Anybody keep a, like to keep your car clean? How about when you get a new car? Do you, you want it clean? Okay, when you get, let's say you just got a, a brand, maybe it's new to you, maybe it's just brand spanking new. It smells new, it's got that new car smell. And you go pick up a friend and he gets in your car and he's got a water burger in his hand. <laughs> a double meat, double cheese water burger. And he starts eating that water burger. And you, I don't know about you, but it's like, oh no, you don't. You put that water burger back in the bag. You are not eating that water burger in my brand new car. Why? Because you don't want your brand new car with mustard and ketchup and cheese. You don't want it staining your seats. 
Listen, if we can take care of a car, we've got to take care of our souls. And what comes in is important. And what comes in is so. We have to watch our intake. God's word is the best intake we can get. And then we have to be willing to say no to some other things. Listen, I love, I appreciate the internet. I'm on the internet. We do internet stuff. But we have to recognize there are things in there that can pollute and stain and torment our righteous souls. Stay away. Parents, please, please be aware of what your children are looking at because it impacts them. And here's the biggest motivator, guys. I'm motivated by the fact that my fear of God, my respect for God is greater than my respect for culture. Yeah, I appreciate, and I'm not anti-culture. I'm not saying we all should live weird. I'm, I don't believe living weird is an answer. But I believe that living with the respect for God, that when it all comes down to it, I'm going to do what pleases Him, not what pleases you. That's a fear of God. And the fear of God will keep us away from some things that can defile us and hurt us. Here's the last one. God's hand on our lives can make a difference. When you choose to say, you know what, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live to honor you. I'm going to identify with you. I'm going to, my, my language is going to, to, to reflect what you say about me and what you say about life. God, I'm going to do that. So what you do then is you position yourself for God's wisdom. You know, God can give you wisdom. Listen, if he gave Daniel wisdom and hit those three boys wisdom, God hasn't all of a sudden run out of power. He can still give wisdom and skill that can elevate you beyond your years. He can give you an insight that's beyond your years. He can give you favor where people will like you and they don't even know why they like you. They just like you. Psalms 27, verse, I believe it's verse 5, that says, you surround the righteous with favor as with a shield. For you, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you'll surround him as with a shield. So God can give you favor, he can give you wisdom, and he can promote you to wherever you are now. He can take you to a better place. And you're thinking, how in the world did I get here? Well, God promoted you. Listen, God has not lost his power to do amazing things for his people who love him and care for him. He can still do it. You know, I haven't preached in a couple of weeks, so I'm going over, so just to deal with it. We'll be out of here soon. Don't get nervous. At least another 30 minutes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Children's church would shoot me on spot. But listen to me. When I came out of Bible school, this is 1984, when I graduated from Bible school, I had had a Fortune 500 job uh, with, with the company I was working for, Wrangler Jeans. I left Wrangler Jeans to go to Bible school. When I left Bible school, when I came back, I had a resume, didn't read so good. And, and the only job I could get really was selling cars uh, on the Katy Freeway. I was selling cars one day, and I just felt an impression that, that God had something more for me. I began to look in the paper and answered an ad that a headhunter had put in there looking for someone to sell to the, to the banks and savings and loan industry. So I sent my resume in and called this person. She, uh, she started talking. I never forget her name. was Vera. She started talking to me. She said, Alan, she said, I've got this one company. She said, but they are so picky on what they look for and what they want. She said, I don't know. And I just said, Vera, I said, just get me in front of them. I'll do the rest. And she said, okay. 
You're a long shot, but okay. So I went down to the Galleria. I had two suits, gray and blue. I wore my gray suit, walked in, walked, and the guy I interviewed with, I'll never forget, this guy walked in. He was, y'all remember when Tom Selleck was young? This guy made Tom Selleck look like, pfft. he was, I'm like, oh my gosh. So Mr. Movie Star walks in. He, he was big, just, he was a showstopper. And he sits, he sits down and I'm like, oh great. I've got Mr. Power suit and Mr. Power. But what's, what was interesting was three weeks before our interview, he'd come to Christ. He had made a decision for Jesus Christ. And so when I told him about going to Bible school, he thought that was a great idea. When I was getting ready to walk out, I told Vera, thank you for the interview. She said, wait, they want you to stay. She said, there's one more person they want you to visit with. I thought, got them. And sure enough, <laughs> they wanted me to visit with their vice president who was a backslidden Baptist who appreciated the fact that someone was going to live for God. And I walked out of there with a job. Listen, they had a profile. They had... They had a profile. Their profile is one of them tall, dark, and Texan. I was not tall, dark, and Texan. I was anything but. But God could open doors that nobody can shut. And when I worked for that company, I, I went against all their profiles and God prospered me. I, did, I was one of their top salesmen. In fact, they appreciated me so much, they would send me to Las Vegas to do, these, to do these big meetings because they knew, Alan, we know you're the only one that will stay sober enough to tell them what's going on. <laughs> but you can stand out for God in the midst of a culture that does not care. Listen, guys, this is our time. You say, oh, Alan, these are bad days. These are horrible days. You're right. But these are the days where the church can shine, where we can tell people, we got answers for mental health. We've got answers for anxiety. We've got answers for the lack of peace in your life. We've got answers for infidelity. We've got answers because we've got Jesus. A number of years ago, there was an old song, an old hymn that was written. It's called, In Times Like These. It said, in times like these, we need a savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. That rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. That rock is Jesus. He's the only one. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, we gotta know we got an anchor. We gotta know that we can stand strong. And we got to know that God can cause us to stand out even in a foreign culture. Would you bow your head for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Please, no one leaving. We'll be out of here in just a moment. It's hot out there. You don't want to go anywhere anyway. <laughs> Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and no one looking around. If you came this morning and, or you're watching online and you say, you know, Alan, I, I, don't, I don't have a relationship with the Lord or I, I don't, I'm not sure. Or maybe you're like I was. At one time you had a relationship, and then you walked away from it. And this morning you're listening and you're going, I need to come back. I need to have a relationship. In times like these, I need my relationship with the Lord. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I'm not going to have you stand up. But I am going to ask you this. If that's you that I'm talking to and you would like our prayers, would you slip your hand up real quick across this auditorium? Say, Alan, would you pray for us? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. 
Thanks. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. Obviously, if you're online, I can't see you. But you're in your heart. You go, man, I need this. God sees hands. He sees hearts. So pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. If you're online, pray it. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. Head still bowed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Thank you, Father, for those who come out of spiritual darkness into the light, for those who come back and come home. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we're your people. Thank you that we can stand strong in a culture that doesn't love you, but we do. And thank you for what you're able to do in us and through us. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.